I'm Kimberly C. Palm. As I travel throughout each state, I realize that death is just a moment. It is how we live until that moment that matters. Finding connection with friends, family, and complete strangers. Journey with me. This is the Live Well, Die Well Tour. Well, we're here today talking to Brad Macy, and I have to say I have learned so much from you in the last few weeks doing some research about where you came from, where you are, and the huge impact that you're having on dying patients in the United States. So welcome to Death by Design podcast, Brad. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here and uh, looking forward to having this conversation with you. Well, before we get started, talk to me because you you were a hospice nurse and I love hospice nurses. Um, what is always intriguing to me is how does someone become a hospice nurse? What was your interest in working with the dying? Yeah, that's always an interesting question. So I really think I was, I was we call it a calling, really. Um, I was just drawn to it. Um, you know, my father died when I was five. And my mother died relatively, when I was relatively uh, young, in my 20s. And I lost a lot of, I guess, you know, a lot of my uncle and, and other people died. So I had a lot of death in my family. And I think part of that was... Uh, what drew me to it. Uh, But I found myself when I was working in the hospital, constantly being drawn to the bedside of the patients that were dying and and the families that were around them. Um, You know, and everybody was saying, you're supposed to hang that IV bag, you know, what are you doing? And so I really found myself drawn to it. And I, beyond that, um, I think it's really a calling. Mm. I have to tend to agree with you. So how long were you a hospice nurse? So I practiced uh, for about 25 years. Oh, that's that's all? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a long time, 20 years. Wow. Yeah. I started, um, I started um, doing after-hours visits for a large hospice in the San Francisco Bay Area. And they kind of recruited me. They said, well, why don't you come work for us? Because we were I was contracting for them doing their after hours visits. And uh then I started working for them. So uh it was a wonderful journey. I started doing case management, uh did that for a few years, and then they really I really was drawn to after hours nursing care. And I think part of it was the challenge and excitement of walking into a situation and not knowing what I was dealing with and meeting the different players within the patient's circle and trying to figure out who, you know, who could advance the care of that patient? How could I get that patient comfortable? All of the things, the factors that, uh, that we have to do because we're not just trying to get a patient comfortable. We're trying to get that family comfortable with 
also. So, you know, a patient may be suffering with pain and symptoms, but a family is suffering a lot of times with, um, with the journey of um, watching a loved one die. And so really it's our job to try to help to help everybody. And I didn't, sometimes the monotony of the day work um, uh, was not something that I was drawn to. So I kind of liked the, the Lone Ranger excitement of being out there after hours. Mm, that must be your superpower. Because to meet families uh, in the middle of the night, um, where we have to admit the majority of deaths occur um, after, you know, death doesn't happen eight to five Monday through Friday. It happens 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Um, and, and so talk to me a little bit about your interest in how you dealt with the patient possibly in pain at night, but also the pain that the family members were dealing with in a totally different way. And how did that bridge to what you're doing now? In my experience, I found that when I would go out to a patient's house, a lot of times we would be giving medication orally and the patient would stop the abilities. They would have lost the ability to swallow. I dealt with patients a lot of times. Most of the time I was dealing with patients when, when symptoms were escalating as the after hours nurse. So I saw a lot of pain and suffering in my time. Um, whether it was agitation or just plain pain, nausea or vomiting, and other symptoms. And when patients were unable to swallow, all of a sudden you had a situation where patients weren't able to get the medication they needed. And if it was three in the morning, how do you get that medication into that patient? And our go-to is usually what's called sublingual, which means underneath the tongue. And what we would do is we would give a lot of the medications that we had been giving where the patient would swallow that medication. We would then put that medication underneath the patient's tongue and hope for the best. Well, in my experience, I found that about 80% of the time that worked okay, but about 20% of the time it didn't work. And we ended up chasing what we used to call chasing symptoms. Uh, and we would increase the dosage and hope for the best. And then an hour later, we'd increase the dose again. Um, and the, it was extremely stressful and challenging for family members, obviously, and horrible for the patient. So, you know, it leads to the story of the invention of the Macy catheter. I had a patient one night with severe terminal agitation. Um, he, his son was caring for him at the house and he promised his father that he would die peacefully and that he would die at home. And I went out at three in the morning and this poor guy was just climbing out of bed, really climbing the walls. And I had given him a sedative. Uh, he couldn't swallow. He wouldn't swallow. Uh, he was just too agitated. I had given him a sedative uh, rectally uh, in tablet form. And I waited that wait to get him comfortable uh, about an hour, talked to the son, tried to give the son emotional support. Uh, and then he was worse. And I, uh, yeah, I... 
I got an order to repeat that dose. And uh, when I tried to repeat it, I actually noticed that the tablets had not dissolved inside, inside his body. Uh, and that was my aha moment. It's like, oh my gosh, our patients are dehydrated at the end of life a lot of times. And they're on medicines that dry that dry uh, the mucous membranes. So that medicine was never going to absorb in his body. So I ground up the tablets. I just thought on my feet, I ground up the tablets and I, and I added water to them and I injected them with a small tube into his rectum and I watched the symptoms melt away from him. I simply, it, he just calmed down, he relaxed and he went to sleep in 15 minutes. And that was my aha moment uh, that, uh, wow, uh, this, you know, this rectal root, it's what we call microenema now. I didn't know that back then, but it's a microenema way of giving medications and it works very fast and very well. Well, when you were with that patient, that first patient that you did this with, did you think, oh, I'm going to create something because there's a gap here when it comes to individuals dying that are dying in pain and the way that we have done it, those 20% of people are are not being able to be reached and comfortable. Did you realize you were going to like create something? Certainly not at the time. I was in the moment. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I was really in the moment. It was like I had a patient that was suffering and I had to figure out a way. We we pride ourselves as after hours nurses uh, coming up with ways to jimmy rig things to to just to deal with the situation at hand. Um, and that's all that's all I really was trying to do was I wanted I just the worst thing for me in my entire practice uh, was I could deal with the family issues and all of the challenges, but watching a patient suffer and not being able to do anything about it was incredibly difficult. Um, it's incredibly difficult for hospice nurses. Um, it's probably one of the biggest reasons for burnout and this, why this year has been so, so hard on, on uh, nurses uh, with the COVID epidemic. It just, we don't go into this to watch people suffer and be out of control. Uh, and not be able to do it. So um, that, you know, that's, that was my motivation. I, I don't want to do this. And so <laughs> when I realized that it worked so well, obviously I wanted to do it again. And so I started to use it as a practice um, on other patients and it worked, it worked for pain. It worked for seizures. It worked for nausea and vomiting. It worked for shortness of breath. Um, it was working for everything. And then of course, the case managers who came on the next day would ask me, why is there a tube in my patient's rectum? Uh, whatever it is, we want to do it because our families are telling us that it, you're a lifesaver, you know, that, that you made this patient comfortable um, and, and that they're forever grateful. So we did adopt it into practice um, at my agency uh, and then other agencies began to ask me through my leadership with the Hospice and Palliative Nurses Association, started to ask me, would you train us how to do this? Because this is a need that we need. And it was at that point um, that I realized that uh, I had something that really was a deep need in across, across the hospice um, 
arena. And that that was when I decided to uh, create a product. So talk to me. I mean, was it hard leaving hospice to create uh, another organization? I mean, it's called the Macy Catheter. Um, and, and, you know, what's interesting is that it's not widely known yet. And, and so this is the one reason you and I are talking, because if we can get that other 20% of patients who are facing end of life out of pain and comfortable for both the patient and family's sake, then we got to have more conversations about this. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. So I started this journey almost, well, about, I think, you know, we started HOSPI about eight years ago and we went through the FDA approval process and then uh, launched into the market uh, in 2014. And we got early adopter agencies who just got it right away and um, adopted it and started using it. Uh, and then there's a thing called the chasm where you, you know, whenever you introduce a new technology, a disruptive technology into any kind of a market, there's early adopters. And then there's something called a chasm where, you know, you need the evidence base, you need uh, all of the uh, research and stuff behind it before you get the later adopters to use. And that's really what we've been doing now is getting the evidence base. And I believe it's really, it's there. We're there now. We have the evidence base that it's more effective than subcutaneous and more effective than sublingual and more comfortable. So, uh, you know, hospices across the country are using this now. I think it's every, all 50 states, there's a, at least one hospice that's using the catheter. But we have a long way to go. Um, uh, it takes a little bit of time for hospices to change, even if they know, for instance, quality scores, you know, the CAP scores that the government does show that right now that one in 10 patients report that, or not patients, but their families report that the patient never or rarely had their symptoms controlled. Now, nobody's perfect, right? But my opinion, one in 10, we could do better, you know, in the industry. We could do better than one in 10 patients' families reporting that they never had their symptoms controlled. So that's kind of my mission. My mission is to change, is to change that. Uh, slowly but surely, it's happening. Well, let me ask you a question because we both, and I know this for a fact, we both love the hospice field and those working in this hospice field. Do you feel like, but I also, I, I love it so much that I do, I, I, I'm all almost a critic of it because we in the hospice, and I say we, I'm working, you know, at a hospice right now, but we in the hospice world tend to have a hard time with change. We don't, we're not, some of us are not earlier adopters. And I think that, do you feel, because I feel this mercy catheter because you hit it right on the head a few minutes ago. It is painful for a hospice nurse to see a patient in pain. So I think it's a trifecta here. Not only is it for the patient and the family, but also the caregiver at the bedside called the hospice nurse um, who has to think on their feet. And I think this is a solution for us. And I, 
I want to know what is your opinion? How do we get more hospices to adopt this? Is it, do you think it's education? Yeah, I do. I think it's, I really think it's education and, uh, education, not only of the hospice nurses, uh, but also of the general public. And, you know, that's why I appreciate what you're doing so much is that people have the power to decide the path that they're on, you know, where they're going, what their journey is going to be. And our whole, everybody is, our journey will always end in death. And we have the power to decide what that journey looks like. Um, so what I want care, potential caregivers of patients in hospice and or patients in hospice know is that you really have a choice and a decision about the hospice that you choose and that there is a way to control symptoms. Uh, even in the home setting, you don't have to be in a facility. You can have your symptoms controlled really well in the home setting. And I think, you know, when the public starts to ask, you know, how, how do you deal with my symptoms? If my symptoms, if my pain were to escalate out of control and I was unable to swallow, how would you handle those? Um, if, if, if the public started to ask hospices that, I think that, that, that you know, that that would change, uh, that there would be more more looking for solutions. Well, we, we, we all know that the majority of how, who has changed healthcare has been the public. I mean, look at the birthing, um, you know, the, the birthing doulas that came, I want to have my baby in the tub. And it is motivated by the individual um, called the community members who have radically changed some aspects of healthcare. So I I hats off because I do believe educating the public more about um, options could be a, a a game changer for the the Mercy catheter as well. But but there are hospices out there that uh, have their heads down, and there's so many acute patients um, that it's not like they don't want to be innovative. They just don't know what the innovation is. So how, how do we get to those hospice? Talk to me about if a hospice is listening, if someone, a case manager or someone's listening right now, and they're like, I want to know more about what this is. How do they get in touch with you? Do you provide training? Talk to me a little bit about your processes when it comes to people who are really interested in implementing the Mercy catheter. So, uh, yeah, we actually do have an entire training program. So we take, in fact, it's extremely important that the launch of the, of the program, we have the policy and procedure, we have the training. We really work with the agency to get the, the uh, catheter adopted, not because how to place a catheter is easy. When and why I want to change my practice is the difficult question. And we teach in that so that we help nurses understand, oh, okay, I understand it now. Mrs. Jones has severe symptoms. She's a great candidate for the Macy catheter because sublingual, we're going to be chasing symptoms on her. So those are the types of things that we train. So, you know, anybody can reach out to Hospi from our website, which is, you know, macycatheter.com. It's a pretty easy to remember. And uh, somebody, you know, you can talk to our, our uh, CHPN, Betsy King, who's uh, always on chat 
and ask her, say, you know, I want to know more about the catheter. Uh, pretty easy to reach out to us. Now, if a hospice nurse is at a bedside today and and they are chasing symptoms with a patient, I mean, if they do, can they order the Macy catheter through like the pharmacy or do they specifically have to go through you for the training and have that already on hand to help symptom controls? They really have to have the catheter available and they need a physician's or nurse practitioner's order to use it. So, you know, and then they, they need to know obviously how to place it at all and teach the family to use it. So there's a lot of pre-thinking and this is why it's so important to get in touch with you guys now to get that training, to have the catheters. So when we do have, when we are chasing symptoms of someone facing end of life, that you ask for an order. But get this, I mean, do you feel like if I called and said, hey, Dr. Smith, I, I need an order for a Mercy catheter, do you think the physician would even know? It depends. It depends on the physician and how aware of of new technology they are. We're obviously at the conferences, and most people who frequent the conferences know about the Macy catheter. Uh, but if if a physician or a nurse doesn't frequent the national conferences or the local conferences, they may not know about new technology. Um, so that would be <clears throat> the answer to that. And do you guys prov- do you guys provide? I mean, do you do you guys help um, hospice organizations um, educate their local physicians about Mercy Catheter in a way that would support um, something like this via Zoom or maybe you have videos? I mean, how does that? I mean, are y'all willing to help educate local physicians to support? Uh, individuals? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm doing, I kind of do the circuit and I do training at the, or I do lectures at the local and national conferences, but we also have a wonderful education platform now, and I'm really, really proud of it. Uh, it's a, it's through the Relias, um, which is an edu- a large national. Uh, yeah, I'm familiar uh, with Relias. So we partnered with Relias to set up what we call the Hospi Academy, and we have ten free nursing CEs on there. Uh, and we're I'm trying to add one a month uh, because I absolutely believe that education is the key to good care in uh, hospice, and that nurses who 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 continually engage in education, the latest technology in hospice and palliative care, just, you know, have the, they've got the keys to better care. So um, that on that platform is actually a session for the prescriber, which is a session for that I did for physicians and nurse practitioners that talks about the Macy catheter, how to order it, what medications uh, can be given, the pharmacokinetics, the evidence base uh, for the catheter, uh, for the catheter's effectiveness and comfort versus the other options. All of that stuff is on one of the uh, webinars that I have. So education is, like you said, is, is absolutely key, Kim. So, you know, before we wrap up, let's talk about any of the listeners listening now you know, we're talking about the Macy catheter. You know, we in the hospice field know that there's 
there's always about 20% of individuals who are, who are having a hard time swallowing and we're always chasing pain symptoms. And this Macy catheter can solve a lot of those individuals who are unable to swallow pain medication. And so how do people get in touch with you and get more information? So what I recommend for caregivers is that they really approach their hospice uh, because we, as an, as a company, we can't send a catheter directly to a patient or caregiver. We need that physician order and we need the buy-in from the hospice agency because they're the ones that are providing the care to that patient. Uh, so, um, what I recommend and what is really important is that when you know, you're, you're talking, maybe you're talking to a discharge planner about hospices and they're saying, here's five hospices, you know, that you can choose from as you ask, you know, do any of those, do any of those hospices, do you know if they use the Mason catheter uh, or how do they deal with difficult symptoms in case I have, you know, cause some people, like I said, 80% of folks have you know, can take a little bit of medicine under their tongue and do just fine. It's that 20% of patients, and a lot of times it's that the uh, difficult cancers that cause a lot of pain. Um, so, uh, you know, asking those questions of discharge planners or interviewing hospices and saying, how do you deal with difficult symptoms in case I, I get to a point where I can't swallow and I have difficult symptoms, how will you keep me comfortable? And I think it's a really good question for people to ask agencies. I love it. I love it. Give us your website once more. So it's www.macycatheter.com, M-A-C-Y catheter.com. And I have to say, Brad, you know, what I love is that you were at the bedside and you saw this gap and and you took the initiative to to close it and i just want to say thank you for all of those individuals that have benefited from your innovative thinking on your feet and creating the Mer- the the macy catheter and i love the new name for it the mercy catheter <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, always figure that I that I could, you know, create new names out of nowhere for anyone. But, you know, thank you so much for your time. And I would really love to to do some more work here in Denver, Colorado to do some education um to really get this word out because at the end of the day, it is about the patient and the family. And how can we keep that patient comfortable? That really is a ripple effect in keeping that family comfortable, especially in this dying process. So thank you so much. And I would like to reach out to you and really think about how can we uh, approach the Denver market of, of really educating people about you know this catheter that can radically change how people in that 20% who, who can't swallow control their pain and symptom at the end of life. So I look forward to continuing this conversation, but I also just thank you for being innovative and thinking on your feet and always caring about the patient and family. Well, thank you, Kim. Yeah, I, uh, uh, it's been a wonderful journey. I, uh, I've really enjoyed every moment of it. It's very rewarding. 
Well, thanks for joining us today. And I look forward to working in, in collaboration with you and, and changing that every hospice in the United States, let's start there, needs to be aware of this. Um, so again, I look forward to working with you in the future. And Brad, thank you so much for uh, just who you are and the impact that you're having on, on hospice patients and families. Thank you, Kim. Thanks for joining us today. And remember, you're the designer. This podcast is produced by Jason Andre with Seven Season Films. If you're interested in telling your story via podcast, look him up. You can find him at sevenseasonfilms.com.